administration, but also supports it in, as he put it, enhancing efficiency. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Fed Day, Thursday the 16th of June. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3, with a full analysis of what the Fed did in the early hours of this morning. And the US Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by 75 basis points. That's the biggest increase since 1994 to tame surging inflation. The Federal Open Market Committee said another adjustment of that size was possible at its next meeting. And officials expect interest rates could reach 3.4% by the end of the year, up from its forecast of 1.9% three months ago. Further projections released by the Fed show officials expect economic growth of 1.7% this year. That's a full percentage point lower than they forecast in March. Speaking at a media conference after the decision, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said the economic trajectory outlined in the new projections is reflective of a softish landing. Economic data released on Wednesday showed US retail sales unexpectedly fell for the first time in five months in May as car purchases dropped. Retail sales declined 0.3% in May from the previous month, missing economists' forecasts for a 0.2% increase. And China's retail sales dropped for a third consecutive month by 6.7% year-on-year in May, slowing from the 11.1% decline seen in April. Other data showed China's economic slowdown moderated in May. Industrial production rose 0.7% from a year earlier, compared to a decline of 2.9% in April. And China on Wednesday refrained from cutting a key policy interest rate, defying market expectations, excuse me, defying market expectations, and disappointing some economists who said that benign inflation on the mainland warranted a cut in interest rates. The People's Bank of China kept the rate on its one-year medium-term lending facility loans unchanged for the fifth consecutive month at 2.85%. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Nitin Dialdus at Mandarin Capital. With a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold of Safepro Group. Money Talk on On Wall Street, US stocks snapped a five-day losing streak and bonds rebounded. Stocks whipsawed throughout the afternoon. The S&P 500 swung between a 0.4% loss and a 2.7% gain before closing 1.5% higher for the day at 3,790. The Dow, which was up almost 650 points at one stage, ended with a gain of 304 points at 30,669. The Nasdaq Composite jumped 2.5% to 11,099. In Europe, the Stock 600 Index rose 1.4% after the ECB announced new emergency measures to tackle surging borrowing costs in weaker Eurozone economies at an unscheduled monetary policy meeting yesterday. The FTSE 100 in London climbed 1.2%. Hong Kong shares closed higher on Wednesday. The Hang Seng Index added 240 points or 1.1%. 
to 21,308. The Hang Seng Tech Index rose 2.3%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite climbed half a percent to 3,305. And the Chinex price index in Shenzhen rose 1.1% and has now bounced by 22% from the closing low on April the 26th, entering a new bull market. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil dropped 1.7%. It's at $118.92 a barrel. Gold is 1.4% higher at $1,835 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield tumbled 19 basis points to 3.29%. And the yield curve steepened dramatically with 5 to 30s uninverted for the first time since last Friday's inflation data. And the US dollar fell against its major peers. The euro's at $1.4.5. The Japanese yen strengthened by 1% to 134 against the dollar. Sterling climbed 1.5% to $1.21.5. And 9 Hong Kong dollars and 55 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.675 in offshore markets. And the Hong Kong Monetary Authority bought Hong Kong dollars this morning for the third straight day to defend its peg to the US dollar. The HKMA bought 13.8 billion Hong Kong dollars from the market in New York trading hours. The local currency remains at the bottom end of its trading band at 7.85 per US dollar. And Bitcoin jumped 4% to $22,500. And around Asian stock markets this morning, we're seeing a rebound. The SX200 in Australia is up 0.6%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is open 2% firmer. The Cosby in South Korea up 1.7%. And futures markets pointing to a gain of 270 points for the Hang Seng this morning. Times 8.09. Let's welcome our guests. With us is our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Fahl. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. And also with us, Nitin Dialdas, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Nitin. Good morning. As you heard there, the Fed's raised interest rates by 75 basis points. That's the biggest increase since 1994. So, Enzio, um, this is now the Fed's most aggressive rate-rising cycle since the early 1980s. What's the impact of this going to be? Not a whole lot, because it's still is in real terms loosening the real fed funds rate is actually about 6.8% that is the inflation rate of 8.6% and then you combine that with the nominal fed funds rate of 1.8% you come up with a minus 6.8% on the real fed funds rate that's what really counts for us economists so they're going to have to go a lot further than they're, than than they're saying and that's why they probably deleted that sentence that you alluded to before so do you think they should have done more today? Should they have raised rates by maybe 100 basis points or more? Well, listeners know that I'm very critical of, of just going so single-mindedly after the Fed funds rate as if that's the panacea for supply side for, for cost push inflation. So I'm afraid they're just going to have to stay the course and keep on jacking up the rates. But th this isn't going to really help. That's what Janet Yellen pointed out, that there are many supply side constraints that also need addressing and they're simply not being even looked at. So, I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. The Fed has created this mess we're in now. Absolutely. They? And they're now way behind in fixing it. 
Yes, well, it's it's also I think perhaps the arrogance of ignorance. In other words, they just don't want to look at the the, the cost push side of inflation, and um, that's probably about half the thing. If you look at the if you look at the producer price index, for instance, that is actually up about ten or eleven percent, and the inflation rate, the consumer prices are up by about nine percent. So the margins of retailers are actually down by about two percent. Um, Nitin, what are your thoughts? Is the Fed now finally admitting that inflation is a problem in this statement and what it did today? Yeah, I mean, uh, as you said, they've been so far behind the curve. And even up till about three, four months ago, they kept saying it was transient. Um, It's only now that they're finally admitting that this is here to stay. And when you're you're so far behind the curve, you've got a long way to catch up. So Mm. I agree with Enzio. They couldn't have done the full one percentage point today but they do have to do another 75 basis points next month um, and then you know let's see where we go from there really. Is the Fed's credibility on the line here? I mean as you mentioned they were saying only not that long ago that this was transient inflation totally totally wrong weren't they? Yeah completely. Um, is the Fed credibility on the line? I mean what credibility is there? <laughs> In God we trust as they put on every piece of money but cash is really better so... <laughs> Um, Enzio, you may, I don't know if you do remember, back in 1994, the last time the Fed hiked 75 basis points. (laughs) Well, I remember. (laughs) But do you remember what happened afterwards? We got the tequila crisis and the IMF had to bail out Mexico. Is this this dramatic raising of interest rates? Are we going to enter some sort of crisis as a result of this? Yes, you'll find the third world debt, again, being being the whipping boy. Um, because the and also I'm afraid Belt and Road debt will also come into this just because they can't repay the stuff in dollars. So that's going to be the problem, isn't it? Because since the global financial crisis, this has basically been for the last 20 years debt fueled growth. Absolutely. And now you've got, well, take US mortgage rates. They were 3% at the start of the year. They're now 6.15%. They've doubled um, in, in just a few months. This surely is going to be a problem, isn't it? Well, as my beloved mother-in-law always said, that when interest rates are low, the wrong people get rich. So this is exactly where the chickens are coming home to roost. And, and again, all of this ties into my very simple view that beyond stagflation, our piece of last week, um, this is just going to last for a long, long time. And that's why there's a very good book out by Auntie Illiman called Investing Amid Low Expected Returns. It's a must read if, you're, if our listeners are interested in preserving their capital. There might be the one or other one doing that. Nitin, what do you make of them, the Fed removing this statement that's been, it's been in the, the, uh, the, this line in the statement that's been there for a while, which basically says they expect inflation to return to 2% and for the labour market to remain strong? Are they basically giving up on their 2% inflation mandate? Are they saying that 2% is no longer achievable? I think, it's, as you said earlier, I mean, they're finally coming to the realisation that inflation is here for a long while, so they can't tell you when it's going to return to 2%. Um, and they are admitting that we've got high inflation. And, you know, we've talked about the supply issues. I mean, you've got energy prices. You've got a whole load of things all coming together, even wage inflation starting to tick up. Mm. So when it's all, you know, it's it's this whole confluence of um, data that's coming through, and it doesn't matter where you look, there are, there are, there's inflation in there. So to turn around and go, it's going to return to 2%, um, they know they'll just be, you know, 
losing even further credibility to whatever they've lost already. Even the Texas oil producers are saying they're not going to produce more oil, so that's a sign of patriotism, isn't it? <laughs> so where's the Fed trying to get to then? What's a, a normal level of interest rates at this time that will bring inflation down? Well, I'm going to shock you. I think it's going to be around 10%. I mean, I know that Volcker was up to 19 um, in his day, if you remember that, Peter. Um, I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> see? Um, but um, I, I just think it's, it's – it's, and if they keep on with this sort of very dogged course of looking only at Fed funds and it's just going to have to ratchet up and up and up, that has huge implications for the currency markets, by the way. So this, the dot plot – basically now has moved up by they're saying that yeah, well, uh, just... the forecast now is for 3.4 percent at the end yeah. of the year it was 1.9 percent at the yeah. last meeting yeah, it's so going up it again. very very quickly isn't double, it but double you, it again yeah but they're going to yeah. have to get even more hawkish i think so yeah yeah you... uh, i'm not as pessimistic as nzo on that i think it probably go to about five and a half six and i think that's probably where okay. they'll settle for a little while oh, but sensible yeah um and I think they'll probably settle it there and then just have a look and see what the you know natural effects are on the economy. And then mm. if they have to raise further beyond that, I think it'll be a while before they really get up there. But I just wanted to add, if I may, um, that the labor shortage, well, there's also a lot of indolence in markets, people not wanting to work. So there's, there are twice as many vacancies as there are unemployed in the U.S., so that's another reason why wages are rising, not because of the normal demand pull side, but because of cost push. There are just a lot of people who don't want to work. Yeah. Mm. Well, they've cut their. Um, they're now saying inflation, uh, which was which is about what three point six percent at the moment. They're expecting that to rise to four point one percent in twenty twenty three. It seems to me though that if you want to bring demand down, uh, unemployment's going to have to go up a lot more than that, isn't it? Yes, and again, demand is half the half the equation. If because the if the Texas oil guys, for instance, are saying we're not going to be um, helping on the oil front, if you have people saying we're not going to actually be working any more harder than we are at present, we don't, we just don't feel like it. Um, if there are people who are not qualified for tomorrow's jobs because of a disastrous middle-class education in the market, which I'm a product of, um, then I think you have many, many structural issues that are simply not being addressed. Mm. I, I, I'm struggling to see how these Fed projections are realistic. I mean, they're yes, talking about quite. GDP. Uh, they were projecting 2.8%. They're now saying 1.7% this year and the same next year um, as well. I know no central banker will ever, never estimate a recession, but they still seem to be wildly optimistic, don't they? The economy is too big to fail and too big to jail, Peter. <laughs> well, yes. Luck luckily for them, you don't put central bankers in, in jail, do you? Not, not well, in America, not, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, Nitin, what, what do you make of the market reaction? Why was the market so positive by this? Well, I think it already priced in the 75 basis points. So the fact it was 75 basis points and not 100, um, it was just a little bit of a relief. And it was like, yeah, we've priced it right for a change. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing. Um, we know the markets are going to struggle a little bit. But one thing that is interesting is as these interest rates rise, you know, companies with high cash ba cash levels in their balance sheet, all of a sudden that cash comes to play as well because mm. that's earning a return for them where it hasn't for the longest time. And I think people are missing that point as well. So and you there are a lot of investing in those companies. Yeah. yeah, and there are a lot of these companies. I mean, a lot. Of, you know, we can name Apple's, Microsoft, those people know, but they have high cash levels, and mm. all of it. You know, all of a sudden, instead of earning zero point zero one percent on that of your two hundred and two billion. You know, 1% all of a sudden means that you're getting $2 billion on that. And that, that can be quite significant spending that they could utilise for research and all. 
But it sounds like, though, this rally is... It's a temporary rally, isn't it? So yeah. the markets oh, yeah, have sure. still got to get their Fair heads around. Trap. Rates yeah. are going up a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean... As, as we're saying, they're still so far behind the curve. So every time we get close to these interest, uh, interest rate announcements, you know, there will be quite a bit of bearishness. What was interesting was the Fed said nothing whatsoever about markets in their statement. They didn't mention credit spreads worsening at all. Previously, you know, you, you have seen at least some sort of tilt to market sort of stresses. It tends to suggest that that Fed put is well and truly gone. This is uh, a Fed now whose number one priority is fighting inflation, whatever it does to the markets. Yeah, uh, very much so. And I think, again, it's what people aren't talking about, is that the top end of the yield curve, it's actually invest, inverted already. Mm. Um, so that's not a good sign as well. I mean, that already tells you that there's a recession from the bond market that they're pricing mm. in a recession. So you know, a lot of things that the Fed needs to start getting back ahead of. And, I agree. And I, I think there's also maybe deliberate silence, conspicuous in its absence kind of stuff going on that they're not mentioning these things because they know that they're out there. But if they start saying that also, mm. then, you know, all hell breaks loose, basically. Mm. Let me ask you about China as well, because we have had some things going on there. Uh, first of all, the People's Bank of China kept the rate on its one-year medium-term lending facility unchanged for the fifth straight month at 2.85%. Why did they do that? A lot of economists were expecting a cut. They've been talking all the time um, about uh, trying to support the economy. But once again, they've done nothing. The reverse of the Fed. They're trying to be optimistic about their economy and saying, well, it's a lot better than what it really yes. is. And I think that's, that's exactly fine. what they're trying to project. It's like, you know, everyone keeps t telling them how bad their economy is. And they're just trying to say, well, it's maybe not as bad as you guys are thinking. Uh, you know, how it Despite works COVID policies, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. No. I mean, that's how China is. They like to give perceptions as opposed to look at the realities. Mm. But there's been all this talk, haven't there? We had Premier Li, um, you know, at that huge conference that he did, you know, imploring local governments to do more to look after the economy, that, you know, this was going to be a top priority. But when the opportunity comes once again they've backed away from doing anything and that and that's why consumption is so tepid the according to yesterday's revered south china morning post people are unwilling to spend because they're mm. apprehensive they think there are going to be more lockdowns more restrictions coming through and frankly if you're kind of if you're if you're turn if you're putting the brakes on the car and then stepping on the gas at the same time even my limited driving experience would tell me that the car isn't going to go very far it seems to be in China almost the opposite uh, from what's going on in the U.S. In the U.S., consumers are stopping spending, as we've seen from that retail yes. sales data, uh, because prices are going up so yes. much. In China, consumers have stopped spending because they're worried about their incomes declining and losing their jobs and wages falling to zero. Yes, and again, consumption is a very important engine. It is, one, driven by women, whoever, what male ever says, let's go shopping. Yes. And secondly, it is about two-thirds of any economic growth in my mind. So it's a very, very important figure, the retail sales, in other words, the consumption behind that. Mm. What, what, what do you think, uh, Nitin, about the data that came out yesterday? We had retail sales uh, slow, uh, but not as much as, oh, well, slow, but uh, but you're sort of moderating from what we saw uh, in the previous month. Yeah, but it's still negative, right? I mean, mm. if, if we go mm. back over the last 30 years in China, when, you know, when it was double-digit retail growth month on month on month, how quickly that has turned. I mean, you'd have expected it to slow down to single digits before you start getting to negative. I mean, it just went from double digits growth down straight down to negative. Mm. And I think that just is an epitome of what's going on with this area of COVID policy. 
is people are fearful over a whole bunch of everything. Um, and has already pointed out whether it's further lockdowns, whether it's job uh, security, whether you know there's there's a whole host of stuff that's going on over there uh, from the ec- economic point of view. And then going back to uh, Premier Lee, where he was talking about needing to you know focus on the economy, it's a very different message that uh, Xi Jinping's been given, which is we stick to zero COVID policy. Yes. So who do you believe, right? Yeah, You're always going to go and believe your president ahead of the premier. Mm. Encapsulated in Frank Luss's catchy tune, slow boat to China, I believe. So that, that retail sales figure, let me give it properly, it was 6.7% negative last month, although it was worse in April. It was 11.1% decline. Do you think some, uh, some consumption now has been lost forever as a result of this zero COVID policy? Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of people who have actually also left China. Um, and we've been reading mm-hmm. about a lot of emigration out of not just Hong Kong and China as well. Um, that, I think, once they've gone, they've gone. So I guess in short, the answer is yes. But that's not to say that, you know, future generations won't replace that consumption. I mean, obviously, as China gets away from its zero COVID policy or COVID's done, whatever comes first, there will be that growth coming back. And obviously, people will start consuming again. But it's just a question of when that's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I can't give you an answer. I mean, it's like asking how long is a piece of string, isn't it? But they will also first, I think, first of all, they'll have to sort of fill up the whole of, of their lost savings before they actually start really spending massively. And the Chinese are pretty prudent people. So it's not like in America where credit is sort of kind of a bit of a fad. Mm. It's having an impact, though, on the unemployment rate, isn't it? If you look particularly youth uh, unemployment. It's at a record high now. Massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, good to hear your thoughts. Thank you both very much. You heard their personal wealth advisor, Enzio Von Fahl, and Nitin Aldous, who's Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. is 8.24 and a half. On the phone from Taipei is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Morning, Ross. Hello, Ross, are you there? Yes. Okay, morning. Couldn't hear you there. Okay, um, let's, we've been talking about uh, the Fed and inflation in the in the US this morning. There's always, isn't there, a political angle to um, inflation as well. Um, what do Americans say about the, the price rises and who do they blame for this? Well, they don't like the price rises, and they certainly blame the incumbent, and that's just how politics works. So uh, obviously uh, it's a major concern for voters heading into the midterm election. And President Biden, his administration, and uh, the Democrats in the House and the Senate are going to take the blame for it. And is it fair? I mean, are they right to blame Biden? Or are there lots of things going on that are uh, out of his control? that, that's a fundamentally political question, uh, although the economists or the bankers could uh, provide uh, analysis from that perspective. Uh, the Republicans are going to try their best to beat up Biden over this in, in a political way. And the interesting thing about that question is, uh, and keeping in mind, we don't have a long time to go before the midterm election, right? It's mm-hmm. literally just months away. The news is not really getting any better on the inflation front. There's no reason to believe it's going to dramatically change. Uh, visiting Saudi Arabia is not going to cause the price of, of uh, at the gas pump in the United States to dramatically fall before the election. So the Republicans, and this is the interesting part, 
all they have to do is point out that uh, here are a bunch of bad numbers under Biden. Here's some decisions the Biden administration made, such as uh, making it a little more difficult to to uh, produce uh, oil or gas domestically, for example. Uh, and they don't have to come up with a plan of their own. They just have to say that here, here are the bad things that happened uh, in the less than two years that President Biden uh, has been in the White House. And it's going to be a very compelling message in, in a lot of places across the United States. But do do, um, do consumers, who are also obviously the voters, um, I mean, are they... Do they also know or realise that, you know, they're flash with ca- flush with cash because they've been given all these handouts? There's more jobs than you can uh, wave a stick at. There's an abundance of US jobs for people who want them. Uh, the unemployment rate's near half-century lows. Are, does that well, also, the, the do they also think about, about that? Yeah, you know, you, you're, you're technically correct, but the interesting thing about that, that, that issue is what a poor job the guy in the White House, President Biden, and his team do about marketing what are arguably some good points as well, like you said, jobs or wages. They, they don't seem very convincing. Uh, he's already lost his, his original spokeswoman, has already left the White House. So there's, there's some, clearly some problems with the team, but there's just problems with the messaging. They've had that problem from day one. They, they, they just don't seem to be winning the messaging war uh, w- w- with any of their policies, frankly, not just on, on the economy. And for that one, they have to blame themselves. They can't blame the Republicans. So, so are voters buying the line from uh, President Biden that these are Putin's price increases? No, they, again, uh, the Republicans just have to say, you know, look what you're paying for gas now. It wasn't this expensive when, when we were in power uh, or what you have to pay for food. And again, that's probably enough to, to anger voters, to remind voters about, uh, yeah, they are paying a lot more for these things. Uh, Biden saying it's, it's, it's Putin's fault. It, it, it's not a compelling reason why voters are going to say, yeah, we'll stick with you or we'll stick with our incumbent uh, Democrat in the House or the Senate. That's not going to be enough. It's going to be enough, as I said, for the Republicans to come from the other side and just say, look how expensive things are right now. And what do they expect the administration to do then? Well, they they expect uh, magic, <laughs> right? They, they they expect prices to fall dramatically. They they want things to go back to the way they were, and you know, in life, uh, things rarely do. Uh, so that's why I mentioned you know, President Biden going to Saudi Arabia. He's going to beg for for more output. You now, even if. The Saudis agree, again, it's not going to translate into lower prices at the pump uh, or dramatically lower prices at the pump uh, within days or weeks or months, especially prior to the U.S. election. So, yeah, voters expect some kind of magic change to the rising prices. Uh, does that include the, you know, the issue of interest to us out here, the lowering of tariffs? On Chinese goods, uh, well, China's not very popular, but probably uh, uh, if, if given the choice between uh, cheaper goods from China or making things more difficult for, for the Chinese economy or the Chinese government, probably voters would, in fact, choose to pay less for things at what, the supermarket or at Walmart. Well, what's noticeable, isn't it, is just how the mood is souring at quite an alarming pace. The Biden administration must have noticed it. If you measure now U.S. consumer sentiments, which the University of Michigan does, it's plunged to the lowest level uh, since records started in 1978. And we saw the data today. The retail sales have turned negative uh, as well. The mood does seem to be turning bad, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and we'll probably be hearing that kind of language uh, more and more over the coming months as we get closer to the election, that some kind of metric, uh, the, the president's popularity, consumer sentiment, it's the lowest since, you know, since records have been kept or uh, since the last time it was this levy. We saw that in the past few hours with, with the Fed's decision, right? It, it's the largest rate increase since 1994. We're, we're going to be hearing a lot of those kinds of metrics in the coming weeks and months about uh, the United States uh, voter or the consumer more broadly. Okay, Ross, thank you very much. Good to talk to you. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. Uh, over in Australia, first of all, the SX200 is up 0.9%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is surging ahead now. It's up 2.2%. The Cosby in South Korea also up 2%. And futures markets pointing to gains of about 300 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is COVID updates with Janice Wong and James Ockerden. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. Maximum temperature will be about 29 degrees. Sunny intervals and one or two showers tomorrow and a few showers uh, over the weekend as well. Uh, temperature right now, 27 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The US Central Bank has announced that interest rates will rise by three-quarters of a percentage point. It's the biggest rise in nearly three decades. The Federal Reserve has taken tough action to combat a continuing surge in inflation, which rose to an annual rate of more than 8.5% last month. The Fed Chairman, Jerome Powell, said he was committed to bringing inflation under control. We at the Fed understand the hardship that high inflation is causing. We're strongly committed to bringing inflation back down, and we're moving expeditiously to do so. We have both the tools we need and the resolve that it will take to restore price stability on behalf of American families and businesses. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has spent a further $14 billion this morning to defend the SAR's currency peg after putting in $11.75 billion yesterday. The move will reduce the aggregate balance, the key measure of liquidity in the banking system, to $280 billion tomorrow. The chief executive-elect John Lee has welcomed a vote by lawmakers to approve a major restructure of the government ahead of the start of his term on July the 1st. Aaron Tam has details. In a statement, Mr Lee said he was grateful to LegCo for its careful scrutiny and passage of relevant legislative and funding proposals for the proposed reorganization. When the new administration takes office, it will have 15 policy bureaus up from the current 13. New posts of Deputy Chief Secretary, Financial Secretary and Justice Secretary will be created. Mr Lee said the changes would help strengthen coordination and implementation of government policies allowing for more effective governance. He hailed the passage of the proposal as a sign of positive interaction between the executive and the legislature, under which LegCo not only monitors the work of the administration, but also supports it in, as he put it, enhancing efficiency. And Germany has accused the Russian state-controlled gas giant Gazprom of trying to further exacerbate soaring energy prices in Western Europe after it announced sharp reductions in the amount of gas it supplies to Germany. The company's claim that it needed to service equipment was dismissed by Germany's economy minister Robert Habeck. He said Moscow's actions showed that Europe needed to wean themselves off Russian energy. 
You may have noticed that gas supplies from Russia were reduced again on Tuesday. If you have the feeling that all the legwork's been done and everything's going well, you're mistaken. It's not over yet. It may be just the beginning, which means that independence from fossil energies and from Russian fossil energies must be pushed forward at full speed. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update with me, Janice Wong, and James Ockenden. On today's program, we will be speaking to Professor Malik Perez, the Chair of Virology at the University of Hong Kong, to see what he makes of the latest COVID situation here. But before we welcome him to the program, here's Yuki Jung with a roundup of the latest developments. Thanks, Janice. Hong Kong's daily new COVID infections jumped to 1,000 and 